Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. This afternoon we're going to be talking about sharing faith. And for some of you, when I have just said that, you have an immediate emotional response and you're like, oh no, I wish I hadn't come to church today because that's not fun. I really don't want to talk about that. And for some of you, you're not Christians and you're sat here and you're like, that's really weird. Why would they want to share faith? Or is that why I'm here? That's awkward. And friends are now getting a bit stiff and like, all of this. I just want everyone to take a deep breath. Because we're aware, we all come with different stories, with different backgrounds, with different baggage, and with different thoughts and feelings when we think about evangelism and sharing our faith. But we as Christians, the reason why we share our faith isn't so we can tick boxes and get a load of people and we're like, yes, we feel good because there's lots of people here and it's great. We share our faith because Jesus has genuinely transformed everything in our lives situations that looked like dead ends Jesus has turned around in this room I know that for my life and I'm sure that's replicated across the room places where you thought there's no provision here there's no way through through prayer God has then made a way where there is sickness God has brought healing where there is despair and hopelessness and even suicidal thoughts God has come and brought hope and joy. And if you're exploring faith, I hope that this church can be a place where not only you hear those stories, and I'd encourage you, ask your friends those stories. Those are the stories you want to hear. Those are the stories that make you think, wow, maybe God is real. Those are the stories that made me think that. But also a place where you can just ask those big questions. And I'd really encourage you to do that Alpha course, because Alpha is the best place to do that. Um, But if you are a Christian here today, and you're like, I'm not really someone who likes to share my faith, I'm bad at it, no one knows I'm a Christian, I feel loads of shame around it, I'm hoping that actually God would sort of interrupt that narrative this afternoon. And I've got a friend called Chris, and Chris is turning 60 in June, which is exciting. I was very excited to get her 60th birthday invite. I was like, my first 60th, yay! This is excellent, church family. Um, And a few years ago, when we were talking about evangelism, she was part of our service that me and John were leading, my husband, and um, she would have quite an emotional reaction when we spoke about evangelism. And she would get angry and say, like, I've tried, my neighbours don't like me, I don't talk to them anymore, I can't do it, you're extroverted, so that's why you can do it. It's a personality thing. God hasn't asked me to do that. And if he has... I mean, I'm not going to, because I'm just, I try and I fail. And basically, not through me or John or anything, but just through God over the past year, her life really has changed. And she, and she got a lodger, and the lodger and her started praying for their neighbours, the neighbours that she hadn't really spoken to for probably almost a decade. There'd been real tension there. And they just happened to sort of bump into a neighbour and a little conversation happened or a knock on the door and they had a little conversation and there's a little connection there. They also got a dog and started to dog walk and then they'd bump into people in the park and then they'd start chatting to people. Wonderful. This is all starting to happen. And then she starts sharing, well, I'm a Christian. I went to church this weekend. They're like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I could come along. She's like, of course you can come along. She's like, actually, you know what I should start doing? 
I should start hosting events where I invite my church friends, my dog walking friends, and my neighbours. And now she's doing these monthly themed parties, um, French theme, whatever, where she invites people who know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus, people who are somewhere in the middle where they're like, kind of believe, kind of don't know what I believe. She's probably one of our most evangelistic people. And so Chris has gone from someone who, for her whole life, I mean, she gave her life to Jesus as a kid, has seen herself as someone who could never share their faith, is a bit embarrassed to tell people she's a Christian. And now, almost 60, she's like, yeah, I I can share my faith. I'm someone who shares my faith. This is amazing. And she would say, there's no change in my skill. There's no change in my ability. It's not like she's done some sort of theology training course or she went to an excellent seminar or preach where she was like, I now know how to answer all the questions. None of that. It was just she expected that maybe God could do something. That as she prayed and she started to see things happen, these coincidences where she'd bump into neighbours and then maybe they were a little bit more open than they ever had been, she thought, this is a bit weird. Maybe God will do something with my life. God completely interrupted what she thought her life was about and what she thought her, the end of her 50s into her 60s would look like. And now she's just set up for a very evangelistic 60s decades, which is wonderful. So if you are a Chris here this morning, uh, this morning, this afternoon, I hope that maybe God might do that in your life today. But something that I love about Jesus and his ministry and how Jesus went about um, just everything that he did is Jesus was interrupted often and he interrupted people. He seemed to be constantly just going into situations, either interrupting people, interrupting social norms, interrupting groups and saying, I'm doing this, or just being willing to say, oh, you know what? I was walking here. I was going to do that. I was going to go spend time alone, but there's someone here and there's a need and I'm going to heal them. I'm going to do that. He was interruptible and interrupted. And I think as we learn to follow Jesus, a lot of it is just about learning to lay down how we think our lives are going to go, learning to lay down our plans, how we think our day-to-day is going to be, and just saying, Lord, why, why won't you interrupt me? Why not? Just let me give up everything that I thought my life was about and just see what God might do with it. And he invites us into this kingdom adventure, which is more exciting than anything we could have planned anyway. So we are going to look at Luke 5, which is basically interruption after interruption after interruption. Um, We're going to read a bit of it. I'm going to story tell a bit of it. So if you've got your Bible with you, I'd recommend reading along um, as it's good to do that. And if you don't, don't worry at all, because I'm going to read some of it as well. Um, So in Luke 5, it says this. This is at the start of Luke 5. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, And I don't know if I've said that right, so I apologise to everyone who does know how to say that. Um, But there we go, it's by the Sea of Galilee. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up onto the shore. They left everything and they followed him. So Luke 5 kicks off with basically a probably standard Sunday morning. Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, and he interrupts a few fishermen who have had a rough night. They haven't caught anything. And this isn't like, oh, shame, it didn't go that well. This is like our business, our livelihood, our families. What will dad say is his business to start with. We're trying hard and we haven't caught anything. We don't know the backdrop of this. Had it been going badly for weeks, we we don't know. But they'd had a bad night. And Jesus interrupts them for the first time and asks to use their boat. And they say, that's fine. And he goes and he teaches from the boat. And then Jesus asks the craziest thing. He asks them to put their nets down at a time when they wouldn't have been fishing anyway. It was a silly time to fish. You're not going to fish at that time of day. They've already finished their fishing. They're washing their nets out. They've given up for the day. That's it. And Jesus says, no, put your nets down. And what happens? The miraculous. Not just a few fish. Not just a little catch like they would be used to on a good day. No, the most extraordinary catch that they had ever had before. This would be a life-changing, business-changing catch. To say to other fishermen, we caught so many fish that our boats began to sink, that we had to sink, that we had to invite other fishermen in to come and help us. This would have set them up to be fantastic fishermen. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just come and interrupt and bring provision and bring a change to their situation. No, he says to them, now, you see, I can do this, the miraculous. You can see who I am. But will you leave that behind and follow me? Will you leave this crazy, abundant catch, the thing which you would have wanted for your whole life? Are you willing to leave that behind to follow me. And there is not a question in their minds. They just drop everything and they follow Jesus because he's worth it. And for all of us, Jesus interrupts our lives and he says, I can turn your situations around. I can provide. I can bring joy. I can do all of those things. But are you willing to lay everything down, even the things you most want, to follow me? Are you willing? And that's the interruption of Jesus in all of our lives. But for all of us, when we say yes to then following Jesus, it's not, and I'm sure you would know this, it's not always like, and life then was plain sailing and easy. This was super fun and easy. Yes, Jesus does make everything ultimately better because knowing him is the best thing ever. Knowing eternal life is amazing. But the Christian life is full of breath taking cliffhangers, isn't it? Moments where you're like, is God here? Can I really trust him? And you have to go back time and time again. No, Jesus, you've interrupted my life and I'm set apart for you and I'm going for it. And a few years ago, I met a man named Michael. And Michael is from Vietnam. 
And he stowed away on a ship from Vietnam in hopes for a better life. And there were lots of women and children on this boat, and and men as well. And halfway through the journey, they got into some serious trouble. The boat had a leak. It started to fill up with water. They'd also run out of food and water. So nothing to drink, nothing to eat, and the boat just physically is in trouble. There's a storm. It's not looking great. And Michael is certain that everyone, himself included on this boat, is going to die. And he's heartbroken, not just because he's like, oh no, I'm going to die, that's, that's terrifying, but also because on this boat was a woman, a single woman, who was pregnant at the start of the journey, and she gave birth on the boat. So this newborn baby with no food, no water, no chance, no hope, and he's like, what, this just doesn't make sense, this child is going to die, this is awful. And he wasn't a Christian at the time, but he prayed for the first time. And he cried out to God and he said, you know what, God, if you're real, I don't mind if I die. I don't mind anyone else on this boat can die, but just save this newborn, innocent child. Save this child's life. And I will give the rest of my life, if I survive, to serving you, to loving you and faithfully following you. And an hour later, a British cargo ship passed the boat and agreed to take every single person on board and nobody died and the child survived which is an incredible story and I met Michael on one of the worst days ever a couple years ago it really was the worst of days um, for me I as I said at the start of the preach I'm from a family that is totally atheist no one in my family is a Christian um Apart from my nan, actually, who became a Christian a couple of years, um, a year ago, which is really exciting. Um, but other than my nan, um, who's lovely and bonkers, nobody is a Christian. And so I had got a call to say that my granddad was dying. And my granddad was quite a bitter man. And he had rejected me every single time that I had tried to share the gospel with him. And I really believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And I really want my family to be in heaven. I really want them to know Jesus. And I had shared the gospel with my granddad. And I'd say, granddad, like, you want this. You want life and life in all its fullness. Not just when you die, but right now. Please respond to the gospel, granddad. And I probably, in my early years of being a Christian, was a lot more brutal than that because I was a bit more, I don't know, unwise in those times. So he'd heard the gospel very clearly, probably too clearly. But he'd been very clear, no, I don't believe it. That's ridiculous. I don't want anything to do with it. No. But when I heard that he was dying, I was like, John, I've got, I have to share the gospel with him one more time. We've just got to go for it one more time. Come on, one more time. And so we had gone to Birmingham, which is where my granddad was in hospital. And we got there, and then we got a call from the hospital. COVID, the ward had been locked down. No one is getting in. I was like, can we phone? Can we, like, contact him? My granddad doesn't have a mobile, obviously, because he's an old man. Um, And the ward phone had broken. I was like, what? This is crazy. Like, I can't, can't you get, like, another phone in? They're like, no, just wait a couple of days, and you'll be able to come in again. I'm like, I don't even know if he's going to survive that long. So I'm very sad. The next day, the worst call. My granddad has died. Despair sets in. We're like, oh no, this is the first time I'm coming to terms with someone that I've prayed for hasn't responded to the gospel. This is really sad. This is really hard. And a few weeks later, we're at the funeral. And for me and John, yeah, this is just a really hard day. We're really, really sad. Sadder than my family are, (laughs) probably. They're like, you know, he was old and he was suffering. It was the best thing. I'm like, no, this is 
And Michael gets up and leads the service and does a fantastic job. He did a really, really great job. And then during the service, he says, I just want to share a story. I don't know what you're going to think about this, but I'm going to share a story. And he shares that story. I was like, wow, what an amazing man. That's so cool that he's leading this service. He's like, and then he carries on the story. And he says, I went to go see your granddad, Chris, two days before he died. And I'm like... I wonder whether this guy gave someone on the ward COVID. Anyway, that's another thing. You are the reason it was locked down. Um, and he says, and I went up to him and I shared my story about that. And then I shared about how I was so nervous to go back to Vietnam. I said, when I hadn't been back for decades. And Michael said, I changed quite a lot. I was now an old man and, you know, maybe put on a bit of weight and looked a bit different to when I was a young man and had left Vietnam. But my fear subsided when I got to the airport, when I got to the arrivals gate. As soon as I got to the arrivals gate, I knew exactly who my mum was. And my mum knew exactly who I was. And his mum just legged it towards him, arms open, grabbed him. My son, my son, you're back. I love you. It's so good to see you. It's been so long. And Michael said that he shared that story with my granddad and then said, And that is what God is like, Chris. That is what God is like. It doesn't matter that you have been away from God for your whole life, that you have been hard and bitter to him. God is open-armed to everybody. And he's saying, if you want to come home, my arms are open and I'm ready to embrace you. And he said, and your granddad said he did. And I prayed with him. I was like, wow, that's great. So me and John are a wreck at this point, obviously. And we're looking at each other like, does that just happen? Am I making that up? Did that just happen? It was amazing. But did my granddad's deathbed conversion, which is genuinely turned, interrupted the worst of my days and made it into the best of days ever, did God interrupting my granddad's death with eternal life mean that me sharing faith with my granddad for all those years and getting rejected, did that become obsolete? Was that a waste of my time? Was that like, oh, well, I should have just left it for Mike. Michael did a much better job. That was great that he did that. Well done, Michael. No, not at all. Because we can so often try and put ourselves into God's shoes and be God in situations and say, if someone doesn't respond, I haven't done a good job. If someone doesn't give their life to Jesus, well, I haven't really done that. When did God ever say that you were going to save anyone? No, Jesus is the only one that can save. Your job is sowing the seeds. You're just scattering whether they respond well whether they respond badly, whether they make fun of you or not, all you're doing is sowing. And you know what God loves? Obedience and faithfulness. Just the plugging away for the kingdom. You would have never heard about Michael. He's like extraordinary, an extraordinary man. You would have never heard of him. He's just some random dude in Birmingham. But he's just faithfully plugging away for the kingdom. He heard about my granddad because my granddad had done a little bit of work in their church garden because he likes gardening. He heard he was dying and he's like, I'm just going to give it a go, go share the gospel. Why not? Michael didn't know that there was a whole backstory of me praying and crying out for my granddad's life and all these years and heartbreak of my granddad not responding and being hard and bitter. He had no idea. I told him at the funeral and that was a very nice moment. But he had no idea. And even for me in my life, 
As a student, another student walked across the room and invited me to church. And God had been doing things in my life, which mean that, meant that I was ready to respond. And I responded in tears. And I was like, yeah, I will come to church. And I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Katie saw that. But what happened before that, the 10 years before that, was lots of young people at school trying to share with me, trying to invite me to church, inviting me to different events, me going, no, that's awkward. No, that's weird. I don't want to come to your VeggieTales birthday party. What a weirdo. No, thanks. I'm not coming to that youth event. No, 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 it's not happening. And thankfully, because of social media, they've now seen that I've become a Christian. I've had lots of nice moments, like friends sending me pictures of, your name was written in my Bible because I thought you were the least likely person to become a Christian in my class. I'm like, rude, but also great. Thanks. <laughs> like, how bad was I at 12? Um, but there we go. But no, but God had burdened her heart for me. And God had got her to pray for me. And it's just wonderful. But there were so many people that I'm so glad shared the gospel with me or at least attempted to try and share something with me, even if I rejected it, even if I laughed at them. Because, yeah, it just meant that then when I responded, I'm like, whoa, people have been praying for me for so many years. God is so on my case. And even right before we started this meeting, John showed me a text we got from our friend Tommy, who's only become a Christian in the past four weeks, he wandered into church because he saw something on Instagram, which was like an apologetics Instagram. He's like, yeah, I want to give church a go. Why not? To- showed up and he's like, yeah, I just believe it all. I guess I'm a Christian now. That's great. <laughs> and he's a carpenter and at work he's been bullied a bit since becoming a Christian. And people are like, what a weirdo. You can't be a Christian. You're a proper lad. Like, just like powerlifting and stuff. So it is, you know, it's radical. He's become a Christian. Um, and he texts us a picture from his friend. And his friend said, look, look what I'm giving a go today picture of church not our church but just some random church and he's like you're pulling my leg is that a joke he's like no I thought I'd give it a go we're like great that's cool Tommy's like this guy's been bullying me why has he gone to church you just never know what's going on underneath the surface it's amazing so back to Luke 5 and Jesus being interrupted so the next interruption we see in Luke 5 is Jesus's walking and this man with leprosy throws himself in front of Jesus and what does Jesus do He doesn't go, sorry, I'm like actually on my way to something else. I don't really have time for this situation and I have a plan. He's willing to be interrupted and he heals this man. And then after that, we see in um, Luke 5 verse 17, and this is my favourite interruption probably in the whole of the Bible, um, which is wonderful. And Jesus is preaching and he's teaching, but the focus isn't actually on what is happening and what Jesus is teaching on. The focus is on the rumblings that are happening, happening all around. And these friends have brought, brought their friend who's in desperate need of healing on a mat and carry him up. I'm sure you've heard this story if, you've, if you are used to church. Carry him up on top of the building where Jesus is preaching and lower him through the ceiling and now I've been in different situations where um, someone's speaking and maybe someone shouts out and then the preacher looks at the front row and is like please help me they're shouting (laughs) sort it out but I've never had someone lowered through the ceiling and it would be amazing especially with this ceiling which is pretty epic if someone got lowered through the ceiling that would be a fantastic interruption but I don't think I would respond as well as Jesus responds in that moment I'd probably be pretty freaked out But what I love about this bit of scripture is what Jesus was teaching and what Jesus was preaching on isn't actually recorded. We don't know. 
what Jesus was preaching and teaching on, which is a bit weird, right? But what we do know is how Jesus responds to this interruption, what Jesus says to this man, and we do know that Jesus healed this man. So it seems that instead of a man being lowered through the ceiling being an interruption, actually, that is the most important part of that moment in Jesus' ministry. That's the bit that was recorded. That's the bit that is in the Bible for us to read today. It's the interruption that sparks the kingdom adventure. And for many of us, actually, we can have our plans and we can think, right, this is what we do on a Sunday. This is our prayer meeting. This is the plan. And then God's going to come and completely rip up all of those plans and interrupt your life. And even in day-to-day life things, things that you might think, that's not that spiritual. I would say they are spiritual. But the normal, boring, everyday stuff, when you're expecting that God can use any moment of your life, any part of your life, it's amazing that God actually does start to do that. Um, I was on a walk a couple years ago and was sort of processing some things with God and just praying and I felt like I need this walk. This is like, I'm probably going to have a cry. I'm going to process some stuff. It's going to be a great walk. And as I'm on this walk, this woman comes up to me and I've got my headphones in and she's like trying to ask me something. So I'm like, sorry, just take my headphones out. And she says, will you take me to the beach? I was like, what? (laughs) We live in London, what? She's like, I'm just really lonely um, and I'm really bored. Will you take me to the beach? I've never been to the beach. I was like, oh, that's really sweet. Um, No, but let's chat. (laughs) Do you want to chat? Thinking maybe God might be interrupting me in this moment. Let's just see what happens here. Like, this is a weird thing. So this might be the Holy Spirit. So we start talking and I'm able to share a little bit about faith, a little bit about God, a little bit about church. And I invite her to church that Sunday thinking she is never going to come. This is such a weird interaction. She came that Sunday, which was amazing. This was a couple years ago. She's come every Sunday since. Good old Sharon. She's now fully part of our church community. And every time I see her there on a Sunday, I'm just like, oh, Lord, thank you for reminding me that my plans are not great. Your plans are so amazing and the adventure you have for me is so much better than anything because look at this lovely woman, Sharon, and just seeing all these people wrap around her and just help her out and visit her and cook and all of that. It's just, it's amazing. So maybe there's a part of your life um, this week, a little moment that God actually might disrupt you and interrupt you and do something different than you had planned. Maybe you can be open to that. And so, obviously... Following Jesus is a mixture of being totally intentional and being focused on how we can be transformed into more of Christ-likeness and also being aware that we're not in control and we've no idea what's going to happen and it's a total adventure and there we go. But that doesn't mean that we walk around like, there's no point planning anything, I'm just going to aimlessly walk around. Why go to church on a Sunday or why attend a prayer meeting? God's going to interrupt me. No, the call of Like the Great Commission, the first call to go is a call to do something, to plan. Therefore, go and make disciples, which means that we can be intentional, we can make plans, we go for it, we plan our lives very well so that we are then open to those things. And it's in that planning that then we are more aware of the spontaneous stuff that can happen. So my challenge to you this afternoon would be just to think through, maybe in your midweek groups this week, 
How are you planning your lives so that you're expecting the interruption? How are you orienting your lives around God and his kingdom purposes so that you're ready for those things to happen, so that you're living a mission or life? Because so often it can be so easy to just not be on mission, to get caught up in sort of comfortable British life and not actually share our faith, or to think, I don't have any opportunities, I don't have that, I don't... But what if we were actively praying for those things? One thing that me and John have tried over the past couple of years with our small group, which has um, yeah, been just a really interesting thing to try, and, and maybe it could be something you try as well, is we meet, as most small groups do, regularly, and we'll read the Bible together, we'll worship, we'll pray for each other, But then there'll be some weeks, every five weeks, every four weeks, that we won't meet. And that is an intentional week for us to go and have dinner, hang out with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And we'll pray as a community beforehand, the week before, and say, right, who are we praying for? What are we going to do? We'll make plans and all of that. Then we'll go do it, and then we'll feed back the next week. And sometimes it's like, yeah, we had a nice hangout. It was just great to connect with my friend and I was able to hear a bit about their life and offer to pray and that was wonderful. And other times it's like, yeah, it was really weird. Like I'd never invited that person to church and never shared about my faith. And like they were so open and I'm shocked. I was like scared to do that. Um, One of our community, their mum's actually a white witch, um, which is... Anyway, a whole new thing to me. And um, so he'd never spoken to his mum about faith before and he invited her to church and she came along and she's been coming along, which is great. And she's trying to get to know Jesus and learn all about that. And so you just never know, but it's that orienting your life around mission so that you're open to missional activity and the Holy Spirit interrupting you and doing things.